the search for a 78-year-old great-grandmother deepens when authorities find themselves investigating not only her disappearance, but the discovery of another missing person as well. Hey everybody, welcome back to Those Murder Girls Podcast. I'm your host, Raina. Thank you so much for starting your weekend with me. Let's get on to today's story. A native of the state of Maryland, Goldie Robinson was a proud, church-going woman who had relocated to South Dakota back in 1973, purchasing a cute little mobile home in the quiet Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park, which she absolutely loved. As the years passed on, Goldie grew more and more comfortable with her independent way of living, perfectly content alone in her modest mobile home. Goldie enjoyed her neighbors and the comfort she had knowing that even though she was so far away from her family, living alone in the state of Florida, she had people around her who cared for her just like family. Goldie was 78 now, and although she was independent, it was comforting for her to know that the people that she had around her were always willing to lend a helping hand if she ever needed it. She had really good friends and great neighbors who genuinely cared for her. Goldie had been retired and she recently quit her little side hustle that she had working at a local movie theater. She had this job just to keep her busy, to supplement her retirement, and to get her out of the house. She loved the friends and the work family over at the movie theater. She ended up resigning though when her workday started to become a little bit longer and a little bit tougher than they ever had been. The job was just becoming increasingly difficult. Goldie was getting a little bit older, you know, and it was just time for Goldie to relax, kick back, and enjoy her retirement. So like I mentioned earlier, Goldie loved where she lived. The Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park, her little neighborhood, was the perfect place for her to relax. It was beautifully shaded with a lot of trees. It wasn't the most glamorous place, but to her, it was perfect. Goldie always stayed in contact with her son Fred and other family, maintaining close relationships over the phone. So when Fred fell out of touch with Goldie for a few months and then realized that none of the other family had talked to her either, he got super worried, but he was hoping that she was being checked up on by her neighbors and friends. And there was one friend in particular that he knew always went by Goldie's house. She was a registered nurse by the name of Kimberly Smith. It gave Fred and the rest of Goldie's family a lot of comfort knowing that Kimberly was always there for Goldie, stopping by, making sure she was good, because Kimberly knew that Goldie didn't have any family anywhere nearby. Goldie's son Fred lived about 13 miles away in Baltimore, Maryland. He was remembering back to the last time that he had spoke with his mom, and it wasn't the most pleasant. The two had gotten in this argument, you know, going back and forth about a new cell phone that Fred had purchased for her. What the exact details of that argument were, I'm not sure. But it led to the two not speaking for months and months on end. And this just wasn't typical for the two, so that's why Fred began to reach out. He figured Goldie was upset with him, and he knew that. He had given her enough time for her to cool down and he wanted to check up on his mom and see how she was. He was a loving son and, you know, he really missed his mom. So he wanted to break the ice just to make sure that he was okay. So Fred continued to call Goldie and there was no answer on either of Goldie's phone, not her landline and not her cell phone. 
So not being able to bear this lapse in communication any longer and these unanswered phone calls now, Fred had asked a friend of his who lived near Goldie if he could swing by Goldie's house just to check up on her. This friend had known Goldie, so he didn't think twice when Fred had called him to ask for this favor. When the friend pulled up to Goldie's mobile home, he knew by the condition of the outside and the yard that things were not the way that Goldie would have ever left them. It was a total mess. Everything was just out of the ordinary and nothing was attended to. The friend knew right away that something was wrong. So his concerns paired with Fred's uneasy feeling in the pit of his stomach. Fred ends up grabbing his keys and heading off to Goldie's house. He packed a tiny bag and he jumped in his car and headed to Daytona Beach. Panicked and pumped with adrenaline, Fred ends up driving through the night, arriving at the Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park in South Daytona that next day. He couldn't believe what he was looking at, and when he pulled in, he just heard these deafening screams with inside his head, telling him that something was very, very wrong, and he too knew by the outside of Goldie's place that she would have never in a million years have left it in that condition. She had way more pride for her home and all of her belongings than what he was looking at. So Fred was at a complete loss of what to do. So he picked up the phone and he called the police because he needed help, you know, checking out the scene and figuring out where the heck his mom was. The outside of the mobile home had been completely neglected. Goldie's car wasn't in its spot. And the keys that Fred had that worked visit after visit for Goldie's front door no longer worked. None of these things were in Goldie's nature. She was a creature of habit. It was clear to him that Goldie had not been home for a long, long time. So police arrived to help out Fred and they all make their way inside. And it was clear that every trace of Goldie had been wiped away from the place that she called home. Fred was completely baffled. Goldie never traveled far from home. Her routine was to go out, check out the sales at Sam's Club or Walmart, or watch a movie at her movie theater. So where Goldie could have gone that someone else was now living in her home, actually multiple people were living in her home and cozied up and had made it their own place, was just beyond him. So Fred and the police are able to speak to a few people, some of Goldie's neighbors, and as far as everybody knew, the story was that Goldie had met this millionaire man and had picked up and ran off with him. I guess they were now like on this extended honeymoon somewhere amazing and nobody had seen her for a little while. It took a solid 2.5 seconds for Fred to call bullshit on that story. He said there is no way his mom would have ever picked up and ran off with anyone, let alone interested in the lifestyle of a millionaire. He's like, don't get me wrong, to be comfortable is one thing, but this was his mom. She was a small town girl from Virginia and that's where her heart always was. She loved the simple life and all of the treasures that she had in it. So the rumor was that she had taken off to live her life with this mystery millionaire and she was so excited when she met this guy that she was feeling overly generous and had signed her home over to Kimberly Smith's son, Adam. Kimberly was Goldie's nurse neighbor who would go and check up on her regularly. She was trusted by Goldie, trusted by Fred, and all of Goldie's family 
to not necessarily watch over Goldie like as a job, but to just be a good person and check up on her once in a while. After all, Kimberly was the one who had offered to do so in the first place. So with them never asking her to do this, you know, for Goldie or the family, everybody was so gracious that she had started doing this for Goldie out of the kindness of her heart. So officers and Fred are doing everything that they can do to try to track down Goldie and her new husband, Rusty, on this extended honeymoon. Fred and the police were shown a photo of Goldie and Rusty that was supposedly taken on July 10th, 2010 on their wedding day. But right off of the bat, everybody who saw the picture knew that it was not authentic at all. They were like, this is photoshopped in the worst way. So I'm just going to tell you guys now, there was no wedding. Authorities found no evidence of a wedding, no evidence of any man in Goldie's life or anybody named Rusty. So what they wanted to do was find somebody who knew Goldie really well. So Kimberly, they thought, was going to be the key to Goldie's whereabouts. And it didn't take long to find Kimberly. She wasn't that hard to locate. As soon as they typed her name into the system, they found that she was in jail on a parole violation, which had originated from some old fraud charges. So they paid her a little visit in the county jail, and Kimberly claimed to know nothing more about Goldie and Rusty than anybody else did. Kimberly's like, all I know is that she took off, eloped, and now she's living her best life. When Fred heard this, he said, quote, I was so confused. I didn't believe it. My mom was a down-to-earth, hometown, West Virginia girl. The life of a millionaire did not appeal to her whatsoever. Something is dead wrong here. And that could not have been more true because a short time later, Goldie's missing gold Ford Taurus was spotted inside of the Twin Oaks mobile home neighborhood without Goldie inside. Instead, two men, unknown to Fred or anybody else in the area, were driving the car. When they were approached, the men inside said that, you know, they were back at the mobile home park and they were looking for a guy by the name of Adam Smith who had sold them the car a few days earlier. The two guys had explained how they had paid cash for the car, they were told that it ran well, and so they bought it from the man. But one little problem, the car wasn't registerable when they went down to the DMV and so they came back because they wanted their money back. Did you guys catch the name of the guy who sold them the car? Adam Smith, you guys. Remember Kimberly Smith? Could thieving Kimberly have a sketchy ass son who steals cars from old women and sells them? So red flags are freaking everywhere. Adam Smith was like, um, nothing to see here. Goldie actually gave me her car before she left on the honeymoon. I don't need it anymore. She didn't need it anymore. So I sold it. Yeah, right, Adam. So Fred and the police were like, yeah, yeah, right, Adam. Okay, we're just going to tow this car, take it in, process it for evidence, and just see how much there is to see. And what happened next was a whole lot, you guys. So don't blink. When the tow truck pulled up to tow that gold Ford Taurus, the sun had already set and it was pitch dark at night. They were in this semi-rural area in the Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park, which was up against like this wooded area. 
So the tow truck driver pulls up near Goldie's car and is ready to throw it up on the bed. The tow truck's lights are shining into the woods and through the trees, revealing a random trash can. This is totally by chance. So from afar, they're all looking at this trash can that looks like it was probably placed there in the area because it doesn't look like it had been out there for too long. So the cops on the scene approach it and there is something very, very wrong inside. Because it is very dark, they end up blocking off and securing the area until the sun comes up. Detectives don't want to risk missing anything, destroying any evidence by trying to work through in the dead of night. With Goldie missing, you know exactly what everybody is thinking at this discovery. So they slowly make their way back into the tree line and they want to see what's up. What's exactly inside of that trash can? And as they got closer and closer, the smell of human decomposition was eminent. Neighbors had said that they had smelled something in the area terrible for weeks, if not months, but they just attributed it to a dead animal that was in the area, and nobody bothered to go into the woods to look for what it could be. The thought that was going through everybody's mind was, we found Goldie. Sure enough, they were one step closer to finding her. There was a body inside of that trash can. The badly decomposing body had been out in the sweltering summer heat, and so it was sent in to the medical examiner for a positive ID. Everyone involved in the investigation couldn't wait for that ID to come back, but when the medical examiner revealed their findings, everybody was in shock. The body wasn't Goldie's, But how could they be so certain so quickly? Well, they could be that quickly because the body belonged to a male. Everyone was in total shock. Nicole Luca was a local reporter and she said, This was a bombshell. It was the biggest holy shit moment of my entire life. Goldie's family was in total shock. But selfishly, they were a little relieved because this meant that there was still hope of finding Goldie alive and well. News of this finding traveled super fast, and a woman ended up reaching out to the medical examiner in hopes that this missing man would be her father who she was unable to locate since early 2010. With a sample of DNA provided by the woman, it was confirmed that the man in the trash can was her father, Arthur Sheldon, who went by Art. How he ended up in the trash can, though, would take the investigation an entirely different direction. Could these two cases be related? Art Sheldon's daughter sure did think that these two cases were eerily similar, and how could they not be related? So Art Sheldon's daughter tells authorities that the last time she heard from her dad was in an email that he had sent her, letting her know that he had met a beautiful woman, that he was running off to marry her, she was a nurse, and he was never heard from or seen again. So the first thing detectives are doing is trying to make this connection between Goldie, her man Rusty, and Art. But Art wasn't the man that supposedly Goldie married, which was Rusty, the man in the photo. Fred was stunned to learn about the email from Art to his daughter because he too had received something strange from his mother. It wasn't an email though. 
Fred had received a package in the mail from his mom, and when he got it, he thought, okay, this is weird. He opened it up, and he was totally puzzled, having no idea why he was looking into this small box that held the cell phone that Fred had purchased for her, the one that they had gotten in the argument about. And also inside that box was a little note that said, don't call me, and it was signed by his mother, Goldie. So when he got this box, he hopped back on the phone and he called Goldie's landline over and over and over again, but there was no answer. So within this investigation into Art's disappearance, the similarities continued to roll in. And like Goldie's neighbors, Art's neighbors were telling investigators that they had heard that he ran off with this nurse named Dawn. Now, Art had actually known Dawn for a really long time. She had come around to assist him because he was living with this heart condition that made things a little bit difficult. So, is this story starting to sound a little bit familiar? Dawn, unlike Kimberly though, Dawn was a constant in Art's life. Art had depended on Dawn for getting through his day-to-day. He even granted her access to a lot of his personal accounts, which she had taken total advantage of. Unbeknownst to Art, though, Don had been draining his bank account, taking huge sums of money out at a time, and even cashing in on his CD shortly before he went missing. Detectives requested from the bank video surveillance because they wanted to learn the identity of Don. They didn't have a last name. And do you know what they saw when they reviewed those videos? It wasn't Don at all. It wasn't an RN at all. It was lowlife Kimberly Smith using one of her aliases, Don, to wipe out money from Art's bank accounts. Oh, Kimberly Smith. Now, she is tied to Goldie and Art. And while detectives were, you know, digging their heels in on Kimberly, they realize that they are able to identify Rusty, the man that Goldie supposedly ran off with, the man who's in that supposed wedding photo. Rusty is actually Russell, who is one of Kimberly's live-in roommates and one of her friends at the Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park. So there's a lot going on here. Russell, Kimberly's roommate, had told police that he had no idea who Goldie was. Like, he wouldn't even be able to identify her if he saw her walking down the street. That yes, of course, he knew her name because he lived with Kimberly and obviously Kimberly was always, you know, over there taking care of her and checking up on her. So now Adam, Kimberly's son, and his wife, Crystal, who is obviously Kimberly's daughter-in-law, claim to not know anything about Goldie or Art either. All Adam said was, you know, Goldie took off and she left me her house, signed it over, said I can keep it because, you know, she was the wife of a millionaire now. Which is obviously so ridiculous. So every day, more and more is learned about Kimberly and her ties to both Goldie and Art's disappearances, and the plot continues to thicken. So the next weapon in this investigation against Kimberly and her family and Russell is to bring in cadaver dogs. And while they wait for them, they learn that Kimberly may be feeling a little more comfortable in jail than maybe her home because she had spent a lot of time there. 
Detectives dug up a rap sheet revealing countless fraud and identity theft charges, as well as a bunch of different aliases that she had gone by. Like, what a loser. So the cadaver dogs are brought in to Kimberly's rental property and they immediately hit on a spot. And when they focus in on it, they end up uncovering the body of Goldie. She was buried only four feet under the surface. Art's body had been found nine days later, very close by. Goldie's body, just like Art's, was badly decomposed. A cause of death could not be determined, but the death was ruled a homicide. Art's cause and manner of death was the exact same as Goldie's. This is so disturbing, and the evidence is going to show that Kimberly had actually been moving Art's body around with her. Like, she was moving it around so it wouldn't be found. I don't know why she just, first of all, why she killed him. Second of all, why she just didn't find a spot and freaking leave him there and not drag him around with her. At one point, she tried to hide his body inside of a big metal storage container, like one of those ones you would see out on a construction site somewhere. So she had kept his body in there for quite some time. Like I said, I guess because she couldn't find like a spot to just bury him in. And when she called in this rental for this big metal storage container, she actually went by the name of Mrs. Sheldon. The call was actually recorded for like quality assurance purposes. And it's really eerie to hear her talking using this dead man's name. And the rental company said that when they got that rental container back, that it reeked so bad they could barely stand it. Devastatingly, due to the lack of evidence in both of these deaths, murder charges could not be filed against anybody. They were, though, able to file fraud and forgery charges against Kimberly and some against Adam and Crystal, too. And by the way, Crystal spells her name C-H-R-Y-S-T-A-L, which is a crime in itself. So they should add like seven to ten years onto her sentence just for that. So, yeah, Adam and Crystal were only sentenced like a handful of years, which obviously wasn't enough because they were gaining financially from both Art and Goldie, and neither one of these people, Crystal or Adam, even worked. They were literally living off of this money from these senior citizens. Kimberly will be released next year after serving 15 years. So if anybody has parents in Florida or grandparents in Florida, get them out of there. The clock is ticking. You literally have like seven months before she's released. Kimberly's accomplices, Crystal and Adam, are only serving three years for their part in all of this. No charges were ever filed in Goldie and Art's deaths, which is super unfortunate. I mean, it's kind of obvious what went down. And both of their murder investigations were closed in 2014. The trailer that Kimberly lived in at the Twin Oaks Mobile Home Park was dismantled and completely removed from the park. Nobody there wanted any sign of her or any reminder of the horrific things that she did to these innocent, loving people. Kimberly used both of these people as meal tickets, abusing them and taking full advantage of the fact that neither had any family nearby. And the relationships that they did have with their family, she did all that she could to make sure that they stayed as far away as possible so she could financially gain from both of them. She is pure evil. 
And that, you guys, is the tragic story of Goldie Robinson and Art Sheldon. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you guys have a great weekend, and I'll see you back here next Friday with a brand new episode. Bye, guys.